Hey, welcome home, everybody. You're watching Legacy Television. I'm Jeremy Pearsons. We're glad to have you with us here today in the House of Faith. On the broadcast last week, we showed you part one of a message we're calling The Hope of Heaven. And it was recorded live at Eagle Mountain International Church at the Kenneth Copeland Ministries Ministers Conference. And I want to show you part two of this message today. And today we're talking specifically about the source of the sound. You know, heaven has a sound that comes with it. And that sound filled this earth on the day of Pentecost. And the truth is, there's a sound filling your life. There's a sound filling the house you're in, but you have to identify what's the source of the sound. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been driving along in the car and you, you hear a rattle, you hear a noise and you can't find it. You just, more than anything, this, I know this is true for me, you wanna find where's that coming from. Well, that's the same thing that needs to happen in all of our lives, in our families, in our churches, in every aspect and avenue of our lives, we have to find out what sound is filling this house and what is the source of that sound. What makes a word anointed? It's where it came from. So watch this today, part two of the hope of heaven. Be blessed. What makes a sound anointed? You remember when David was called on to play in the presence of Saul when he was being tormented and he played anointed sounds. And what does the anointing do? It removes burdens and it destroys yokes. That's what that sound did in and for Saul, removed a burden and destroyed a yoke. But what makes a sound anointed? What makes a word anointed? It's not the way that it's delivered. It's not the eloquence in which it's delivered. It doesn't even have to rhyme to be anointed. What makes a word or a sound anointed is where it came from, where it originated. And this sound originated somewhere else. This sound didn't come from somewhere here on earth. And as I was thinking about some of these things, meditating on them for a few days, I just kept having this little chorus come to me. Just a few lines of a little chorus the Holy Spirit gave me. He just said, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they waited. And it's coming to fill this house again. Isn't that good? Man, I just messed around with that for, you for a few days. Now, most of you who know me and know us, Sarah is the music in our house. You know that. Um, I, I used to mess around with it a while back, play guitar, a little bit of piano, tiny little bit. But every once in a while now, I'll sit down and bang out something on the piano and try to take a stab at writing a song. I really like this little chorus. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they waited, and it's coming to fill this house again. I just thought that's a great thing to be saying over and over. And so I sat down and played out some chords. Basic. It was simple. I thought, man, this is good. I like this. I like where this is headed. So I submit it to the music in our home. And I said, come over here and check this out. And I thought it was really good until it came out. Like it was all in here until it came out. And somehow it came out like this, this song you'd hear in a Scottish pub. <laughs> sung by a bunch of old former sea captains or something that these just big bearded men, there came a sound from heaven. I don't know where it came from. As of a rushing mighty wind, it did. 
And it filled the house where they waited. And it's coming to fill this house again. Cheers. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how it came out. When I, when I played it for her, she's like, is this a drinking song? It's like, it sounds like a drinking song. I thought, I'm done, I quit. You play, you sing. And we went, to, we went to the office and a couple of days later, we were all sitting around with the staff laughing about it. And I said, guys, I wrote, wrote this song and it sounds like a bunch of drunks standing around a bar. And one of our staff members, Lauren, she said, well, you know they were drinking that day. That's the truth, right? I got excited about the song again. I thought, that's exactly right. Those guys came stumbling out of that room. There came a sound from heaven. Oh, you did. The reason I'm bringing this up, why we're laughing about it, is because you have to find out what that sound is. Because there is a sound filling your house. There's a sound filling the house where you live, and there is a sound filling the house where you preach. And you have to find out, is this a sound from heaven? Is this one of heaven's sounds? Because the decision and the determination needs to be made right now. There will not be a sound uttered in our house, in our church that did not originate in heaven. Because that's what makes a sound anointed. That's what makes a word anointed. That's what makes a song anointed. You know, you could talk about what heaven might sound like. You could go back and you think just what you know offhand, you know, well, God is there, so the atmosphere would be one of love, sure. One of, one of peace, absolutely. But you can define a place, not just by what's present, but by what's absent. Are you with me? You can define a place, not just by what is there, but by what's not there. We were in the state of Colorado just a few weeks ago, and there was a guy who lived there talking to Sarah and I. He said, you know, we have no bugs here. I thought, no bugs? We're in Texas. We have bugs the size of people here. It's like, keep a hand on your child during summer because a mosquito might fly away with them if they're too small. And this guy said, we're not have no bugs here. I thought, is this like a no cats in America kind of thing? I don't know if you remember that or not, but just this promise of no bugs. They used to tell us when we go to Hawaii, there are no animals on these islands that could harm you. I thought, Wow. Maybe a thousand sharks swimming about a hundred feet right off there. But yeah, I get where you're coming from. But you can define a place not just by what's there, but by what's not there. Listen to this from the book of Revelation. Chapter 21. We heard a lot from Revelation today. It says in verse 3, I heard a loud voice from heaven. Hmm. That voice was coming from somewhere. He said, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will deliver them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, nor sorrow, 
nor crying. There shall be no more pain. You know what's not there? No death. And because there's no death, there's no result of death. There's nothing that comes as a product of death. Which means there's no sorrow. There's no crying. The Weist translation of it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any longer mourning. Mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Neither shall there be any longer mourning, nor crying, or pain, for the former things have passed away. So, you know that the sound coming from heaven will have no death in it. We'll have no mourning in it. We'll have no sorrow in it. Again, let me ask you, what sound is filling your house? In our houses of worship, there are two primary sounds, for the most part, I would say, that take place every time we get together. There's the sound of somebody preaching. There's the sound of somebody singing. And pastors... Leaders, heads of ministries, it is your responsibility to ensure that every sound that comes off of that platform and through those speakers is one from heaven. Every sound. Hold on to this thought and go with me to the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, you see the account of Jesus in the temple. and He's handed the, uh, the book, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. He says in verse 18, he's reading and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. What is Jesus anointed to do? What is the burden removing, yoke destroying power of God on Jesus to do? To preach, he said, the gospel to the poor. Evidently, poverty is a burden and a yoke and Jesus was and is anointed to lift that burden and destroy that yoke. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. A broken heart evidently is a burden, it's a yoke, And there's an anointing on and through Jesus to lift that burden and destroy that yoke. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, I won't make you turn there. I know you know this, but you remember where Jesus was quoting from, right? Somebody tell me. Isaiah what? 61, right? And Jesus quoted the first couple of verses there. The Spirit of the Lord's on me. We read that. He's anointed me. He listed the things he's anointed to do. But Isaiah went on and continued to give us really what is the job description on the Messiah, on Jesus. And I want you to listen to what Jesus, in addition to what he said in Luke 4, what he's anointed to do. At the end of verse 2 in Isaiah 61, it says, to comfort all who mourn. I want you to listen to how many times the idea and the concept of mourning comes up. To comfort those who mourn, to console who mourn in Zion, 
to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Did you hear this over and over? Just as much as poverty is a burden and a yoke, or a broken heart is a burden and a yoke, or being captive and prisoner is a burden and a yoke, mourning, mourning. Now, when you go back and you read this, everything Jesus said, everything Isaiah said, what you need to understand is this was the condition that all of mankind was in up until Jesus showed up. All men were poor. All men were brokenhearted. All men were captive. And all men were mourning. Now, mourning, like we said a moment ago, is just simply the response to death. And until Jesus, that was the only available response. There was no other response. There was no other way to respond or react to death. Why? Because until Jesus, death was the man. Death was death and it was over and it was ended. But do you want to know why I believe Satan for all of eternity will hate Jesus? Because Jesus completely ruined death. He ruined it. He absolutely ruined death. Totally ruined it. And now all of a sudden, because of Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who rose again, what do you mean you can get back up? Yeah, you can get back up. And death's going, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean? Resurrect? What is resurrection? I'm the man. And no, Jesus is saying, no, not anymore. That's over. That's ruined forever. And Jesus ruined death for two people, the one who died and the ones who are left. And now all of a sudden, we have this other option when death occurs, when somebody's life is over. Now we don't have to mourn. Now we got this other thing. Where'd this come from? This, what is it? Oil of joy? This is from somewhere else. We have all these little bottles around our house, up in the pantry, in the bathroom. They all say essential oil on them. Anybody else have any of these? These lavender oils and these peppermint oils and these frankincense oils. And they, some of them have weird names, melaleuca oil and so on and so on. We've got, I don't know, scores of these things. And they're all for this ailment or that inflammation or this infection or whatever. Can I tell you what is of all the oils the most essential oil that you will ever, ever come in contact with? It is the oil of joy. It's the oil of joy. Why? Because that is a sound with no sorrow in it. It's a sound with no mourning in it. And that's the sound of and from heaven. All those guys that went stumbling out of the room that day, these were not angry drunks. These guys were full of the Holy Ghost. The happiest drunks you'd ever seen in your entire life. Go back to Luke chapter 4. So Jesus read all these things, and I want you to notice the response to what he read from the people after he said in verse 21 today, the scriptures fulfilled in your hearing. It says in verse 22, all bore witness to him and marveled, check this out, at the gracious words 
which proceeded out of his mouth. They marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. But this is what they said in response to it. Is this not Joseph's son? So they're marveling at the gracious words. One translation says the beautiful words. But think about this a moment. These are not words these people haven't heard. We just read them. These words are hundreds and hundreds of years old. And they've been hearing these words. They've been expecting these words. They know these words. But this time, they're gracious. They're gracious. But their question immediately was, isn't this Joseph's son? In other words, we know where you're from, but those words sound like they're from somewhere else. We know you come from around the corner, but those words came from somewhere else. Gracious words. What makes words gracious? Well, where'd they come from? I'll give you a hint. The answer's in the question. What makes a word gracious? It comes from the throne of grace. I'll throw this in right here. I know that there are a number of us in, in this room who in the last several years, like Papa said it years ago, he said, God has shone and shined the big light on his grace. And there are a number of us that have seen some things and heard some things concerning the grace of God and gotten excited about the grace of God. But let me just offer this to you. If you can't preach grace graciously, then don't. You hear me? If you can't preach the grace, the grace of God without some graciousness in your words, then don't because you might be saying some things that perhaps you even read from the book. But if they're not gracious, then the chances are they're coming out of your head and not from the throne of grace. In other words, if you can't preach grace without banging somebody over the head with those stone tablets that you're telling them to quit living by. If you can't preach grace without telling anybody and everybody else how wrong they are and how flawed they are and how under the law they are and how Do you understand what I'm saying? There must be a graciousness to our grace. And at the same time, if you're trying to preach faith without love, that's just annoying. <laughs> That's what Paul said. I could have all the faith, but then if there's no love in it, it's nothing. It's nothing. Well, I'm, real, I'm more of a grace guy. No, I'm more of a faith guy. Let me tell you something. You are nothing without each other. We are nothing without the revelation of the grace of God, flowing with the revelation of faith in God and in his word. Because without grace, there's nothing to have faith in. And without faith, there's no way to lay hold of what grace has done. We are nothing without each other. But you have to, it's, it's almost like doing a checklist before you take the pulpit. Is what I'm about to say, where did these words originate? Where did these words come from? And that's what these people said about Jesus. Where does he get these words? If you skip down in that same chapter to verse 31, it says he went down to Capernaum. 
a city of Galilee and was teaching on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word was with authority. Authority is a place. What are they saying? These words are coming from somewhere else. Somebody tell us where these words are coming from. And it's not that he was saying necessarily things they hadn't heard or words they'd never heard before. But these words were coming from somewhere else. What sound is filling the house? In verse 33, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. You want to know what loud voice is in the Greek? Watch me. Here I go again. Megasphone. <laughs> and I'm going to take another shot in the dark here. And you tell me if I correctly assume it's where we get megaphone. Megasphone. In other words, there was amplification coming out of this man. Long before you could plug in a microphone and play it through a speaker, there was something magnifying this man's voice. There was something amplifying this man's voice. And just like Jesus spoke from somewhere else, this man is crying out from somewhere else. Now we've got a war of words. And none of it originated here. He cried out with a loud voice and said, let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But instead of engaging in this conversation with him, do you want to know what Jesus did? Rebuked him saying, be quiet. So here's the lesson for today. Words from heaven can shut up words from hell. What makes an anointed word? Where does it come from? Where does it start? Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith. Hey.